Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. I'm excited to start with you guys today. We're going to talk about raising your own meat chicken. So if we missed part one of um, raising your own livestock on backyard chickens, that was on raising laying hens. Uh, so meat chickens is quite a different endeavor, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so this was our first year um, this past spring that we raised our own meat chickens. And part of the reason that we decided to raise our own meat chickens was we've really been working hard on raising um, or eating, I should say, on the things that we can't raise, um, organic, um, pasture-fed, grass-fed, um, non-GMO food for our family. And so we raise our own um, grass-fed beef, um, and we practice organic practices in that. So we have our own beef. Um, and we also have a podcast on that. So if any of these subjects that I talk about that we've already covered and you missed those, you can just go to melissaknorris.com and hit on the podcast button, and then you can access all of the past episodes and find them. So I have a podcast on raising your own grass-fed beef and one on raising backyard chickens for um, laying hens for getting your eggs. So um, we decided to do the meat birds this spring, and it was kind of one of the one of those things that we had done a little bit of research in, uh, we're kind of a, a just jump in with both feet uh, kind of people. So we were actually at the um, the feed store. We have a, a I say, semi-local feed store. Um, we're pretty rural. So the feed store that actually carries livestock and stuff that we can get um, is about an hour, 45 minutes away. So we were down there and they had, um, they had just gotten in a whole bunch of their chicks for spring. And they had in some of the meat birds. So if you're wondering, um, I keep referencing meat birds. So there is a difference, actually. In chicken breeds, um, when you're going to raise, if you want, um, laying hens, or if you're looking for hens that are just for their egg production, or if you're looking for chickens to raise for meat, which usually they just reference them as meat birds, um, there are some dual-purpose breeds out there, meaning that they um, can be raised for meat and to lay eggs. So, hence the name dual purpose. Um, so, I would encourage you to do a little bit of research on which is going to suit your needs the best. Um, we actually went with the white Cornish um, rock meat birds. Um, and these are a, a breed of chickens that have, through the years, been bred down to gain the most weight the fastest. Um, so that you're feeding them for the least amount of time and getting the most bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, so these, um, and, and then the dual purpose birds, you know, those are, are anywhere, you know, they can take them up to, um, I know Buff Orpingtons, which is also one of the birds we have for our laying hens, um, and Red, Rhode Island Reds um, are another some heritage breeds that people um, like to raise and then they'll, um, you know, let them mature up so anywhere, depending upon, you know, the, the bird, it's about four to six months is what um, I've read on those before they reach the full size that you're going to be feeding them. Um, and then they'll start laying their eggs um, kind of in that range too, usually four months on. So you may get some eggs out of them too before they reach the full size for butchering. Now, um, a lot of people are like, well, you know, once um, the main lifespan of a hen 
excuse me, not lifespan, but the average laying span for a hen is about three years. So usually after about three years old, a hen um, generally really slows down on their egg production. So a lot of people, um, you know, are just like, well, why don't you just, you know, let them lay for the three years, and then once they stop really laying their eggs and their production falls, then you can just butcher them. Um, and, you know, if in a survival preparedness type situation um, and longevity, I'm sure that would be the way to go. However, when a chicken reaches that point of age, that's um, why they say, you know, it's just as tough as an old bird. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that adage before. So if you let them go that old and then you go to butcher them, the meat's going to be pretty tough. Now, I do know people um, who actually can get a great buy on those older laying hens because a lot of big farmers... Um, you know, they don't have any use for the chicken if it's not producing a good amount of eggs, and so they're going to pull those hens out. So you can get stew chickens, and I personally have not cooked one yet, um, but a lot of people said that they're great stew birds, so um, you can cook them in a pressure cooker, and then it will help tenderize the meat, or, you know, you can just slow cook and stew the meat, so you can use it, obviously, in stews and soups, things that it's going to be simmered for a long period of time. Or those are great birds to just use to make your chicken stock from. So you can use those and you can, uh, you know, cook them down and then get to the, the bones. Um, and then you can make your own chicken stock. And so that's a great option to use some of the older birds um, so that they're not going to waste um, and to use them. But as far as just, you know, your regular everyday, you know, juicy chicken, you know, you want to roast the chicken for Sunday dinner, um, you know, have that kind of thing, fried chicken, however you like your chicken. I don't think I've had it the way I didn't like. <laughs> we like chicken around here. Um, then those birds that are older, um, once you butcher them, they're not going to be a good candidate for that. But, you know, they're certainly usable for other things. So that's just one option to consider. Um, so we went with the, the white corner hens because they actually reach um, between um, 8 to 12 weeks, they reach their maturity. So that is really fast. Um, for a chicken and so we got ours um and you can order them in from different places and a lot of people have different opinions on this on getting your um your chickens if you can't get them from a local breeder or a local source um we purchased ours from our local food store like i mentioned um or you can a lot of times you can mail order them and if you are going to mail order them in you want to make sure that you let your post office know but as soon as your chicks arrive, even before they're open, that they can call you and you can come and grab them. Um, and many of them will do that. You can just go to your local post office, talk to them, explain to them, and then they'll be more than happy to give you a call as soon as they ship in. And then you can run and grab them um, so they're not you know, sitting in the back room and you can get started caring for them right away. So if you're going to be doing the mail order route, um, then that's uh, something that you want to make sure that you do when you talk to your post office about. So if you're going to be buying them like we did from a, a feed store, um, so they were, um, first you're going to have to make sure that you have your setup at home ready for them because chicks are quite different from older hens. Um, you know, I talked about in the raising your backyard for the laying hens, I actually encourage people to buy hens that are already laying and not start out with chicks to very first go with them. So if you haven't done chicks before, you're going to need a place to keep them. They have to be kept warm. Even if you think it's, um, you know, unless it's in the dead of summer when it's really, really hot out, generally it's in the spring. Um, so you're going to want to, you're going to need a heat lamp to keep them warm. And it's actually best if you have a large round or if you have a, a pin that you're going to be keeping them that you don't have corners in it because chicks can get caught in the corners and they can smother each other and get trampled. So it's really best if you just don't have any sharp, deep corners. So we actually had an old um, pond insert that 
um, I believe it was my in-laws were going to put a pond in, and then we thought we were going to put a pond in, and nobody ever puts a pond in. <laughs> so we had this big oval um, black tub that would have been a pond insert. So there's, there was no corners, and it's good size, and it's deep enough that even as you know, as they start to grow a little bit, that they're not going to jump off out, you know, start to fly, try to fly out, that kind of a thing. You want to make sure, you know, that it's deep enough for them. And so you're going to want to set your heat lamp up above that. And we had ours hanging up about two and a half feet um, above it. And we just had um, actually two sawhorses that we put on either side of the, um, the tub. And then we put a good heavy board over it. And we clamped the heat lamp to this board so that it was over top of them. Um, and then you're going to want to put bedding in there. So you can use um, straw, um, shavings, that kind of a thing. Um, and then they're varying. If they're, ours were in that for about about two to three weeks. So once they lose their down, which is that really soft, really cute little fuzzy chick fuzz on them, they just look so soft and cuddly. <laughs> well, once they start to lose that and then they start to replace their feathers, then that's when you're going to want to take them um, out of that and into a bigger pen. And then they don't need the heat lamp as much because they've got their feathers that can trap and keep their body heat in. But until that happens, you do need to keep them under a heat lamp because um, they can get chilled and get sick. So you want to make sure that they're under the heat lamp. And you can um, kind of gauge if it's your first time on the heat lamp is if they're all huddled right underneath it in a big bunched group, then you probably need to lower it down a little bit because it's, they're not quite warm enough. Um, on the opposite side, if they are all spread out as far away as they can get from that heat lamp as possible, then you know that you've got it down too far and they're getting too warm, and then you're going to need to raise it up a little bit. Um, and so with the bedding, there's a couple different ways, because obviously you don't want them sitting down in their own poo a whole lot. <laughs> and chickens, um, let me tell you, chickens, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term about, um, you know, geese going a lot. Well, chickens have quite a bit of mess as well. So um, there's some different ways. Because they're only in this pen for about two two weeks, usually, um, some people just keep layering the bedding on. So they'll put clean bedding on top of the soil bedding. And then after they take the chips out of that, they let that break down and they add it to their compost pile. And then they have um, some really good fertilizer. Um, just one caveat with that is chicken poo is considered hot. Um, had a lot of nitrates in it, which is really good for most of our gardening things, but you don't want to put it straight on your garden until it's had a chance to break down and um, become actual compost, because it's so hot that if you put it on there before it's had a chance to break down, that it can actually burn your plant. Um, you just want to make sure that you let that sit and break down for a while before you go and add it to your stuff. So um, that's one way, um, plus that way you avoid having to clean out, <laughs> having to clean it out all the time. Um, and it's just a great way to reuse the bedding instead of just tossing it away. Um, so I really like that option. And then the other two things that you're going to need besides the heat lamp and the area to keep them in is you're going to need, obviously, food and you're going to need water. And now if you've done laying hens before, be prepared. These meat birds are totally different. They eat and drink a lot more than your regular laying hens, and that's because they're putting the weight on so fast. You know, they're they're coming to weight, which is you know between about five to eight pounds um, by about ten weeks. So that's a really fast growth spurt. So just be sure that you're checking their water and you're checking their food. Um, and then you'll want to do the first um, couple weeks. You want to do like a chick starter, um, and then after that, um, usually after you know about the first ten to fourteen days, then you're going to switch over to regular chicken feed. Um, 
and you want to make sure, usually with the meat-growing birds, one thing you want to look for is making sure that they're getting a good amount of protein um, in the feed. Now, because we do like non-GMO um, and organic, I purchase chicken organic feed um, from our local store. And there's a lot of debate about the cost, um, you know, raising your own chickens, and is it cheaper than the store? Well, this is kind of what we discovered. Um, we started out with 12 chickens for our first time, 12 of the meat birds. And then by the time we were done with it, um, to one actually, and this is a, a tip when you're getting your chicks, if you're not getting a mail order, if you're picking them out at the store, uh, one of the chicks was laying down when the gal put it in the box, and she didn't know. And we didn't know, but, but when we got home, um, its leg was, I think its leg was broke, actually. Um, and so that one um, didn't make it. <laughs> you know, its, it's little leg was broke. And so if, they're, if you're able to pick them out yourself, make sure they're up and walking around and you pick those ones. Because if one is laying down, it might be because its leg was broken or it's hurt in, in the shipping or, or whatever. Um, you know, so that would be my one caveat is to make sure that they're all up and walking before you get them. So we lost one bird that way. And then we raised them until 10 weeks exactly. And the one chicken, um, we went out the night before we rented the equipment, um, the butchering equipment, and we went out the night before, and we still don't know what happened, but he, it, he was dead. So he was 12 hours shy of us butchering him and didn't make it. So I, we're not sure what happened, um, but of course we didn't eat it because we didn't know um, what he had died from. So, you know, we don't ever want to eat meat, but we're not sure of the causes of its demise. So that one was just, um, ended up being bio uh, food. <laughs> um, so unfortunately. So you're going to want to make sure that you have a you know, good feeding system. And then with the, now this isn't for the dual purpose breeds, but for the, the meat birds, especially the white Cornish um, cross, they eat a ton. And so you actually, a lot of people will take their food away at night because they eat so much that by the end, right before you butcher them, that sometimes they can give themselves a heart attack because they overeat, they don't stop. So you'll want to put the feed in and then you want to take it out at night so that they don't overeat. Um, and that was actually something that we learned at the very end. Um, and I think that that's what happened to the bird that um, died the night before we butchered. Actually, was he? I think he overate. So um, take, removing the food from the coop at nighttime is a great way to make sure that they're not overeating. Um, and that you don't have that happen. So, and then another thing with the, the white Cornish cross, um, and like I said, for, for production time, um, and just because you're coming back on your feed bill because you don't have the feeding in as long as the dual purpose bird, um, was the reason that we went with them. Um, I am going to look into some of the other heritage breeds, perhaps for next time, um, and we're going to try those. But with the, the, these meat birds, because they've been bred just to eat, essentially, um, and grow is they don't move around like our hen, other hens. I was expecting that they would, you know, want to want to kind of range. We have a, a little run-out hen area for them. Um, my my laying hens will let free range, but the meat chickens we had a little area for them to go out and stuff, and they just didn't really move around a whole lot. And part of it was because they were putting the, the weight on so fast, um, and so they were very different in that aspect. They didn't move around unless they heard the food bucket, and then they came just as waddling as fast as they could. <laughs> but they they didn't have the the normal scavenger type, you know, foraging um, attitudes that our hens did. So that was that was very different. And then they did drink a ton. I was just shocked at how much water that they went through. Um, 
And so part of the reason, too, when you're raising, if you're going to go like with the meatless like we did with the white Cornish cross, is you want to make sure that you don't chicken out on butchering them. Because if they go beyond 12 weeks, you run the risk of they actually get so heavy that their legs can't support them and their legs can break. Um, and so if you decide for whatever reason you can't go through with butchering them, then make sure that you either contact somebody who do it um, or that you find someone who will because, you know, you don't want them to walk around and then break their legs, um, which can happen. I, I know of actually a, a gal who just decided that she didn't want to do the butchering for whatever reason. Um, I thought she was just going to keep on for laying hens, and they did start to lay, but then their legs started breaking. So just be sure that you're ready you're ready to go um, with it. And so for the, the butchering part, um, we actually, I think it was just like, oh, it was extremely reasonable. For $25, we rented the equipment um, from our local county extension office to butcher the chickens. And you, we got to keep it for 48 hours, so that was plenty of time to butcher the chickens before we had to have it back. And so what we got with that was um, we got the cones, so it's metal cones that you put the chicken in head first and then just their head and their neck sticks through. And with chickens, when they're held upside down, whenever we have to transport or move our chickens, we always hold them upside down. For some reason, it seems to calm them down. So like my laying hens, if I need to move them, um, or when we purchased our laying hens from a, another farmer, that's how we transported them, like when we got them from the coop and we're carrying to the pin that we were going to, or the crate, excuse me, that we were moving them with in our truck. And they were just calm as could be when they're held upside down. So anyways, we, um, it was on a stand and there's three cones. We put three chickens in at once and then there's a, a basin at the bottom that catches things. And now there's different ways that you can do this. Um, we didn't want to just flip their neck and have them bleed out to die we chopped off their whole head. So for us, we felt that that was the most humane way to do it. Um, and so we just went cut and sliced off, chopped off the head, essentially, like you would on a chopping block, but this way you can't really miss. Um, and so that was, and then we let them drain out. Um, and so then you get with it as well, you get the scalding tank. And so the scalding tank is great because you want to scald them so that the feathers come off and they're really awesome part was the automatic chicken this and then you go over and you dip the chicken um, into the, the scalding tank but you don't want to get it extremely hot because you don't want to get it too hot then the skin rips when you pluck the feathers and then so you want to keep it all together so we just dunk them in um, about 30 seconds couple good dunks and then you can kind of test with your fingers we have gloves on and you can kind of test and pull the feathers and if they start to pull off real easy then you know that it's scalded enough. If they're not coming real easy, then you want to dump it back in a couple of times. And then the automatic plucker is so cool because it's attached to your hose, so you've got cold water coming. So as soon as you put your chicken in there and turn it on, this big tub with like these little rubber fingers, and then the cold water sprays on it, so it brings the, the meat down, cools it down from the scalding, and literally, like 40 seconds, that entire chicken is plucked bare. It is so cool, and then it just spits the feathers out at the bottom. Um, that was like the, the best part and so worth the money um, instead of sitting half and hand put them all by hand. So, and then we had, after they were fucked, we had a big tub with some cold ice water in it to put the whole birds in. So at this point, they're not, they have been bled out and fluffed, but they haven't been gutted yet. So we put them in a big tub of ice water and we did it kind of like an assembly line. So we wanted to be sure that we were doing, you know, the meat all at once. So what we did was is we would um, butcher three because that's how much the cone would hold. 
and then we would scald them, put them through the plucker, and then put them in the ice water, and then we went back and did them. And so we did 10 total, and it was our first time. And, of course, I was documenting everything with the camera <laughs> and taking pictures for some blog posts. So if you're visual and you want to see the pictures, um, then in the show notes of this episode, um, you can go to multicanners.com, hit on the podcast button, and find the um, Raising Meat Hens, Butchering Your Chickens episode, which should be episode 30, I believe. And um, you can see, I'll link to the, the pictures and stuff that we took. Um, so you can actually see how the process goes. So it took, a, it should generally for just for the 10 chickens, if I had been helping and not documenting the whole time, <laughs> um, it would only take about an hour to do. Um, our neighbors did a little, I think they did 32 chickens. Um, uh, two weeks before we did, they got those a little bit earlier. And I think they did all 30 of them less than two hours. So it really is pretty quick. You don't need the equipment for 48 hours, but you have it for that if you need to. Um, so after we had done all of the, the chickens, then they're all in a big tub of ice water. And then, um, and so that was about an hour from start to finish. And so then we had a big um, outside table set up, um, and we had all of our knives ready to go, sharpened, fillet knives, etc. And so then we um, chopped off the feet. Now, chicken feet are an interesting thing because most people think that they're just garbage. Um, but you can actually get really great gelatinous chicken stock by boiling chicken feet. Um, I realize it's not everybody's thing, but if you're looking to use the full bird, then you're going to want to hold on to those chicken feet, and you're going to want to boil them down. You can get a lot of nutrients and make a really great chicken stock out of that. Um, so that's something to consider. Um, and then, so then we went through the gutting process, and one of my tips would be to have... Um, a big bucket right there that you can just put all of the, the guts and stuff into. Um, and if it's a hot day, now thankfully it was only like 50 degrees out when we did ours. We got a good rainy day, which normally I grump about the rain here in the Pacific Northwest. But um, being that it was a cooler day, one, the smell from, so if you've ever heard of people complain about when they butcher chickens at home that it's really smelly, the smell comes from when you're dunking, scalding the chickens, when it gets hot. You're going to smell the dirt because obviously most people ain't giving their chickens baths. And chickens take dirt baths to help with the mites and to stay clean, but they're going to smell. You know, think about a wet dog. So chicken's a little different, but kind of that, but more powerful. So it wasn't like knock it over, like, oh, gross, I'm going to lose my lunch type of a smell. But when you were dunking them in, there was an odor. But if it was a really hot, sunny day, I think that that odor would be a lot more. So I was really glad that we had done it on a cooler, kind of drizzly day. Um, so the odor wasn't really that bad, I have to say. I was expecting a lot worse. I've heard stories. Um, and then the other thing is you didn't have the flies. Because obviously when you're butchering, you know, there's blood and there's raw meat. There's usually flies everywhere. Um, so if you are doing it on a day where you have some flies or it's a little bit warmer or whatever, one of the um, tips that I discovered was to put water in the bucket that you're dumping the guts and stuff into, and since the water keeps that covered, and then you won't have the flies swarming with bath. So we um, had outside a big table set up with all of our equipment, and then I had a cleaned ice chest that, I, you know, we cleaned with hot soapy water and had some ice in it. So after the birds were all the way um, gutted, and so we just went through and, and chopped off the feet and then gutted them, and then we put them immediately in the clean ice chest. Um, with ice, and so they, you know, the meat was kept cold the entire time. So, um, so we went through the ten of those, and then after they were in the ice chest, then I actually brought them in the house, and I had um, I double bagged them, and then I wrapped them with freezer paper um, to freeze them in our in our chest freezer. But we actually cooked one of the ones because, of course, you want to know how this meat tastes. You know, I'd never actually had homegrown chickens 
butchered at home or on a really small farm. I've bought organic chicken, whole chickens from the store. But chicken raising isn't something that we grew up with. I grew up, my dad always raised his own grass-fed beef, but I had never done our own chicken. And so, um, and so I had to, of course, I had to roast one of the whole chickens that night. So that one I just put in the fridge and didn't, um, didn't put in the freezer. And so I was so excited. And it was really cool because we have two um, fairly small children. My son is nine and my daughter is five. And so, you know, they're used to the, the farm cycle. We've done pigs before. We're raising another set of pigs right now, actually. Um, but the chickens was different because we have our, our laying hens, but this is the first time that we had some meat chickens. And so, um, but they were really excited. They were excited to eat, um, you know, that night to know that it was what they had raised. And it was really good. It was, um, was really uh, juicy and, uh, and flavorful and, um, you know, it was great. So we definitely plan on doing it again. We really feel that it was worth it. Um, you know, and then I'm trying to remember, the bag of feeds that we were buying at the time was about $23 for a big bag of organic chicken feed. And the regular chicken feed, I believe, was 16 I think it was $16 um, in the spring when we were doing it. So it was more for the organic, but I felt that it was totally worth it. Um, and so next year, we're going to plan on doing, I think, about 25 to 30 birds. We're definitely going to do it again. So it was something that we want to continue doing. We're going to repeat. Um, and it was great because I got a lot of feedback. Um, so if the the white Cornish cross isn't a bird that you want to do, um, then there's some great heritage breeds. And actually, I guess even among the white Cornish crosses, I had people tell me that they have some breeds that can actually go a little bit longer so they don't put the weight on quite so fast. So um, you, you can look into that. That was a great thing. Um, and so you can get slower growing varieties of the Cornish um, X rocks white chicken, um, which are generally called a broiler or a meat bird. Um, and so one of the cool things, um, there was a, a breed here called a Freedom Ranger. And so um, Heather had come, I did an article on it, 10 tips to raise meat chickens. And she said that they raised Freedom Rangers. Um, but they're a French meat bird, and they're slower growing, and so you get about um, two, they go from about 10 to 12 weeks instead of 8 to 10, um, and so that's something that, and they're also a dual-purpose heritage breed. So that is a breed that I'm going to look into and see if we can get mailed to us here or if our food store can order them in for us. Um, I hadn't heard of that breed before, and so if not, then we will do the, the white Cornish cross again. Um, the white Cornish cross is considered a hybrid breed because it's been selectively bred. Now, not genetically modified, but it's been selectively bred for the traits for it to gain the weight at, during the shortest and the most amount of time. Um, so your heritage breeds, of course, haven't been um, selectively bred. You know, and so a lot of farmers do selective breeding, um, you know, themselves. Like we keep our best um, our best cows, and those are the ones that we rebreed. So over time, you know, we work so like we're continually making it a better breed. So, you know, you have to use your own um, judgment on that. I have some people who don't like the, have said that they don't like the white Cornish cross hens because they think that they put the weight on too fast um, and not naturally. Uh, we didn't feel that. Like I said, we fed them um, organic and they were, you know, kept, they had plenty of, they weren't kept in a tiny little cage. We moved them out into our, our winter coop, actually, where we winter over our laying hens. Um, and then, so we were actually, we were really pleased and happy with it. So um, I, I'm excited and, you know, I just think it's great when I look at all the, the hormones and the stuff that's injected into the animals that we get from the store and not just that, but the increasing cost um, 
to try to buy even organic. You know, I think um, at Costco for a smaller head, um, whole chicken actually than what ours ended up being, you know, it was like, I think it's $23 for two whole chickens, organic chickens. Um, and so I kind of estimated out the cost of this within, you know, our first year and our, our cost of feed and the cost of renting the equipment um, per bird and everything. But it ended up being about $9 per whole chicken. Um, and they were, they ranged from about six to eight pounds. Um, so for organic, um, you know, pasture raised chicken, um, I, I was extremely happy with it. And we're going to continue to do it again. So if you, um, you know, raise your own livestock or if you raise your own um, meat chickens, and if you have any other tips to share, I would love to hear from it. So um, hear about, you know, what you do, your thoughts on it. So you can either go to listeningrs.com, um, hit on the podcast in this episode, and leave it in the comments. Um, I would love to hear what everybody else is doing um, and how your adventures in it have been. Um, ours has been really great. And like I said, next year we're planning on at least tripling. Um, my only problem is, is we'll probably have to can some next year. This year we just left them as whole chickens and put them in the freezer and then I plan on roasting them and, and using it from there. Um, but if we do the 30 next year, then I'm going to, um, one, I don't know that I'm going to have the freezer space to put all 30 in at once because we'll have um, our pigs in there that we'll butcher them this fall. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.